If you would please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Um, go ahead and address a couple things right now. Uh, first, we're probably not getting done on time today. I apologize. If you have a medical reason or something that you need to leave, I'm not going to be too terribly offended. You can apologize later. It's okay. Um, and the second thing is, no, I didn't have a second thing. Awesome. So 1 Corinthians, oh yeah, second thing is, what I'm talking to you about today is a sermon that I've had in several conversations several times throughout the past year, and usually this conversation takes about an hour and a half. Um, so I'll do my best to only make it about an hour. Is that okay? Yeah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will be in verses 12 through 19, right? So the question we're talking about today, or the question I have for you, is why are you a Christian? And just so you know, we have a little bit less people in here today, so if you really want to like shout out an answer and talk to me, I'm okay with that. I deal with that a lot. Um, but... Why are you a Christian? There will be a lot of different answers to this question. A lot of you have something very personal. But, why are you a Christian instead of something else? Why do you believe in Jesus instead of Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, any of the other myriad of religions that are around the world? See, this is something that I have heard um, a couple times, and I know that Many people who have been missionaries or pastors at other places have heard quite a lot. Whenever they're talking to people about Jesus, a person will say something like this, John, you seem to be a good man, you seem to love your God, but at the end of the day, you're a Christian because you were raised that way, and I'm Muslim because I was raised that way, and that's all it is. I appreciate what you're doing, but you can't overcome these things. Is that true? Or is there a reason that we believe in Christ and not any of these other things? This also kind of compounds itself whenever we look at the prevailing idea uh, in our culture that as long as you are a good person, as long as you are devout and believe in God, you will go to heaven. It does, and the different religions are like different paths up a mountain. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But that should have given you some time to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be in verses 12 to 19. So this is Paul talking to the people at Corinth, and he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, they are dead and not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So there's a lot of power here, but I do realize that after a first reading of this, some of you may be agreeing with Peter whenever Peter said, Paul's letters are confusing and sometimes hard to understand. It's true. The guy says some really awesome things, but occasionally he'll say them in a way where you're like, let me read that again. And to be honest, I did have to read that again to make sure I was clear in what I was saying. But this is a beautiful piece of scripture. 
And something that's been personal to me throughout my life, because you see, I was raised in Southern Baptist Church. I understood entirely Jesus' death on the cross and how that saved me of my sins. But something that always puzzled me was this idea that we had to have the resurrection as part of it in order for us to be saved. I was like, well, Jesus died on the cross. That paid the debt for my sins. If he didn't raise up, why does that cancel everything? I just, I couldn't understand, right? But let's look at that for a second. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead like he said he did, like we say he did, right? Well, first off, that means he lied, right? And uh, if someone lied, they're probably not God, right? Um, It also means that the entirety of what we've been telling people for thousands of years is wrong, is also a lie. Everything we've built our um, message upon is a lie. So, if that is a lie, then well, how can we trust, if one of the main key components in what we believe is a lie, how can we trust the other parts to be true? So that's why the resurrection is so important, is because everything kind of culminates. And oftentimes, whenever people are talking about, well, John, why, am, why are you a Christian instead of other things? This is the route that I'll tell, take them, is because of the resurrection of Jesus. There's a really smart guy named Ravi Zacharias who said, if Jesus wanted to lie to people, he would have said, I will raise again one day in spirit. Because how do you prove that wrong? Right? How do you prove wrong that someone's a ghost floating around? But he didn't. He said, I will raise on the third day bodily, in flesh and blood. So, at the very get-go, we see how this entangles itself into what we believe. Right? So now we get to the really important question that all of us in this room have Well, most of us in this room have probably answered yes, but is it reasonable to believe that a man raised himself from the dead? Yeah, right? So there's kind of a pause there because you're like, well, no, but he did it. Right? It doesn't make any sense, but it happened. Like, if I was to come to you and say this about anybody else, you'd be like, you're an idiot. But if I say Jesus raised himself from the dead on the third day, you're like, yes, preach it. Right? So something's gone on. And this is why I believe it's so critical to understand why we believe the things we believe. Because I've had many conversations with people who don't believe what we do and don't like what we believe. And in those conversations, it's really easy to just find yourself sitting there going, wait, what are we even talking about anymore? Especially if you don't understand the reasons why you believe. So whenever I went back and said, why are you a Christian? If you've never thought about this, that's perfectly fine. I'm not trying to cast judgment or talk down to you in any way. But what I do hope to show you is that if you think through and if you know these things, you can help articulate to others why the message of Jesus Jesus is so important. See, we live in a time where It's not just enough that Jesus can change lives. He's also got to pass all these other background checks that people try and throw up, right? Well, if God's really so big, then why does he let bad things happen? Or how many angels can fit on the head of a needle? You know, all these weird questions people come up with. And it's really easy to be having a conversation and be like, look, can't you just hear the point? 
Well, we read in Romans that no, they can't. Kind of the whole point that they don't believe in God is that they know that there's God out there, but they don't want to know, and so they push down the evidence, right? So let's talk about it for a second. There's three main questions that I've heard as to why people think that the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, and I'm going to interact with you about them for a moment, because as it said, just right in um, verse 19, if we, are put, if we are put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone, right? If this doesn't make sense, if this isn't true, then we of all people have been the most deceived, so the first thing I hear is, John, how can you believe in the Bible? Because it's been changed so many times after, over so many years. How can you believe in such a thing? Right? Um, and some of you may be sitting there going, okay. Because we do. We have a lot of different translations of the Bible. And what people try and think is that it all started back with the King James. God gave Moses the King James Version of the Bible on Mount Sinai and kind of went from there, right? Um, and from there, you know, it kind of, they were like, all right, nobody can understand this. Let's change some words around. Let's do some stuff. And then over time, in many translations, we got what we usually read now, um, unless you read the King James, and that's perfectly fine. But see, that's the narrative that people are kind of left with, is that we took the King James and just started going forward and changing some words so it sounded a little bit better. But that's not actually what happened. You see, there's actually... Um, a study of keeping to the original scriptures, and every time they translate a new Bible, they don't translate it off another English translation. They translate it off the original Greek and Hebrew. So instead of each changing down the line, every single one goes back to the original and says, hey, what did this say? So it has nothing to do with how many times the Bible's translated. It has everything to do with what that original said. And if we're talking about that, then... It is astounding the amount of evidence that there is for the New Testament, right? Um, so there's a chart. You can Google it. It blows your mind. But the most, histor like the most historically verifiable thing that we have in history that doesn't deal with the Bible is the life of Caesar, right? Julius Caesar, the ruler of Rome. There's been about... 10 copies of his biography found from about a thousand years after he lived. That's pretty good. The New Testament, there have been found over 24,000 copies of it written from as close to 25 years after they were originally written. And that's really important because the second thing that people try and say is that it changed over time. What was originally written isn't what Jesus actually said. And for something this big and important, you can't change it over 25 years, right? So 25 years ago would be 1995. Wow, that's my age. Weird. Um, so that would be like someone trying to come up to you and say, in 1995, a man raised from the dead and went out and healed people. He took on government officials. You, you'd be sitting there going, no, that didn't happen, right? So, that's kind of this first idea, is that the Bible's unreliable, and there's a lot of evidence for it. If I had more time, I'd give you more, but I don't. 
So second thing is that the disciples stole the body and lied to everybody else. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but it is something to think about. The disciples lived with Jesus for about three years. And um, if you look through Christian history or your Bible, you'll see all of them except for John were executed for their beliefs, and not in pleasant ways. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down, which is horrible. Okay, So to give you a frame of reference, all they would have had done to avoid this stuff is to say, no, nope, I lied. That didn't happen. I was just making it up. For some context, there were a group of men who were integral to the Watergate scandal during Nixon, during his time. And these men were almost all Navy SEALs or trained Army, uh, not Army, but trained armed services people who had gone through tor how to resist torture and all this stuff. And they got together and they said, all we have to do is stick to the same story. If we do, we get out of this, right? And uh, the man said that within 24 hours, all of them had broken because the threat of being in jail and away from their families. And he said, you can't convince me that a bunch of fishermen were able to withstand this kind of torture and never say that they lied. So if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, how do you explain what happened with the disciples? People don't do that for things that they know aren't true. Secondly, how do you explain the growth of the church? Because you see, at the time that Jesus was alive, Christians were not in power, right? And there was no reason for it to gain power. The fundamental core of our belief is that you take the things that you have and give them away for other people so that you can then be seen as good by God, right? Like, whenever you talk about what God wants you to do, it's love God and love other people. It's not gain money, it's not gain respect, it's to give. So no reason that that should be picking up steam, right? And the third reason that I hear people say that this didn't actually happen is they were like, okay, okay, but Jesus didn't actually die, right? He went through the crucifixion, and then three days later, he came back out and, you know, convinced everybody that he had died and rise from the dead. Um, and this one's actually pretty common in the Muslim faith, because they believe they believe a lot of the same things about some of the Old Testament, and they even believe that Jesus was a prophet. So if Jesus lied about himself, they're in hot water. So they're like, no, 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 he just didn't die, right? Well, see, that's hard. Because some of you may be like, okay, maybe Jesus went through, and maybe that didn't kill him. Uh, first, do some research about Roman executions. They are horrible and very efficient at killing people. But secondly, and kind of what changed this uh, argument in my head is, it's not whether or not Jesus, like, you're not trying to convince people that Jesus never died. You're trying to convince people that Jesus died and rose again like it never happened. So think of it this way. Jesus went through the full crucifixion where he was flogged, where he was hung on a cross, and where he was stabbed. And then he was put in a hole for three days, and he's supposed to come out looking like it never happened. It's not possible. There is no other explanation for all these things except that Jesus did in fact die and raise again three days later.
Whenever you look at the evidence as a whole, you find with, yes, it doesn't make any sense, but what else could have happened? Nothing else can explain all these things. So what does that mean? Because a lot of you, or at least some of you, have got to be sitting there going, all right, that's cool, but what do I do with that? Um, that's a lot of really good knowledge, but what do I do with that? So we look at verse 20. And this is awesome. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So the awesome part about it is if we can put our foot firmly on Jesus' resurrection, then we can put firmly on our own resurrection. The more confident we are in the fact that he raised from the dead, the more confident we are that we will too. And that changes everything. You see, how long do you have left to live? Some of you may be like, all right, well, I'm 20-something, probably like 40 years. Some of you may be like, uh, I'm hoping to make it to, you know, the end of this year. Some of you may be like, Psh, I'm going to live forever, I'm fine. Um, and what's odd is that last person is, in fact, right. We were all eternal beings. If you've been raised with Christ, then you will live forever. And that changes a lot about the way we live our lives. So there was a joke on the internet that my friends were passing around this week, uh, mainly because I was preaching. And the joke was, if you, get five million, you would get $5 million if you walked up on Sunday and slapped your pastor. Would you do it? To which all of my friends said, I'm sorry, John, yes. <laughs> uh, so since I was preaching all my friends were like John you know I'm sorry but you're getting hit and then Tyler was like well does it compound because if so man you might need to go to the hospital <laughs> but most of us would probably take that deal get hit in the face once for five million dollars right we would probably take a lot worse pain if we could have the security of like several years Right? Because we know that we can get through the momentary pain as long as we have something that will ensure that we're okay for a longer period of time. Think about this. Whatever time you have left here on earth, because honestly, none of us know. I'm 24, about to be 25, and I could die tomorrow. Right? That's something that we're all feeling especially right now, is the uncertainty of our life, our mortality. And yes, that is a terrifying thing, but as the Christian, the joy you have is at the center, and the fear is on the outside, because you know that you will be raised and live forever with Christ. For those without Christ, it's the other way around. The fear is at the center, and they are only trying to mask it with other things, because they know that in their worldview, if they die, then, then what? 
Paul addresses that a little bit later. He says, well, if Christ isn't raised, then we all perish, so live today because t- tomorrow we die. You know, Eat, drink, be happy because who knows when it's going to end. And you can see a lot of that in our culture. But if you're going to live forever, if the years that you have, the days that you have, whatever, is the short part, and you will live forever past that, it changes the way we live our life. First, your character becomes much more important than anything you could gain. C.S. Lewis talked about this idea in his book, The Great Divorce. And he said that all, of, all people will live forever. It's only whether or not they will live in a state that if we saw them now, we would be tempted to bow down and worship them, or if they would live forever in a state of something that we would think is a devil. right? Which, that's not intended to be right by the Bible. That's not theologically accurate, but what he's getting across is the point that we are becoming something. And if we're only going to live for 40, 50 years, we may not worry about it. But if we live forever, we better be worried. The lies we tell to get, our, uh, to get ourselves ahead become much more important than the money we gain. Doing the right thing at the cost of momentary pleasures become much more significant. Because you will outlast anything you have. Secondly, what we do for others is more important than anything we can gain. Just think about it. A thousand years from now, you won't have your car, you won't have your house, you won't have your money, you won't have your job, you won't have your education. But the people will still be there. It says it in the Bible, although if I had uh, thought I was going to use this, I would have found the reference. Of all these, three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And the greatest of those is love is because whenever we get to heaven, there won't be faith. You won't have to trust in God. He will be there. There won't be hope because you won't have anything else to look forward to. You are there. But love... Love survives. And the things that you've done for others here will live on and have eternal impact. And the things you've done for yourself, well, they'll pass away with the rest of us. And the last, and the most important, it is not only the right thing to do, but it's the only thing that makes sense to follow God no matter what the cost. So, Jesus said a a parable in Luke 16 about a manager um, and his master, right? The manager had not done his job well, and the master was calling him on the carpet for it. He said, you're going to have to give an account to me for everything that you did because I don't think you've been doing it right. And the guy said, man, I am about to lose my job. And... I don't have a back to work, and I have too much pride to beg. What am I going to do? And so he says, you know what? There are a lot of people that owe my master money. I'm going to get them in here. I'm going to take their bills, and I'm going to just erase half of them, or a third of them, or a fourth of them, right? I'm going to make lots of friends. So he does this. He says, all right, you owe my master $1,000, make it 50, right? And he does all this because he's like, you know what? I'm getting fired. What else is he going to do to me? 
And a lot of us are expecting Jesus to be like, bad. But what Jesus actually says is, that guy was smart. He knew that his time at his job was very short and was coming to an end. So he was preparing himself for what was coming next. Can we say the same? See, if we really believe what the Bible says, then our time here on earth is short and what's coming next will be infinite. So why do we spend so much time preparing for things here instead of there? Why do we spend so much time worrying, stressing, putting all of our life into this life whenever the next one will be longer and sweeter and better? So what I have for you today is essentially just to let this sit. But I want you to go throughout your life and see, or throughout your life for the next seven days, seven-day challenge. There we go, Clyde. Um, I want this to sit on you. I want you to start to think, what does this matter in a thousand years? And I'm not saying that, you know, things that aren't going to be in heaven don't matter. Uh, yes, pay your rent. Yes, make sure that, you know, you have food. But our priorities shouldn't lay in things that will pass away in a hundred years. They should lay in things that will never rust, never be destroyed. So if this has touched you, if you're like, you know what, I've never made that commitment, and that sounds a lot like how I feel, is that this joy is only on the outside, but on the inside I'm terrified. Please, come forward. There's nothing that we would want more than to talk to you. Or maybe you've just been like, John, I've lost focus. I know what God says, and I believe in him, but for a long time, I've been living as if this is all there is. Please, we would love to pray for you. We would love to encourage you. We would love to help you in any way we can. So as Larry comes up, as we sing, would you stand with me?